that quote is pretty simple. It's, it's three things. It's do your best, never give up and have fun. And so when you really narrow those three things down, you know, what you're talking about is you're talking about excellence. You're talking about doing your best and you're talking about making sure that whatever it is that you do, you do to a hundred percent and like, it's perfect. You know, that's, that's the goal. Uh, the next part, do your best, never give up. That's persistence, like narrowing it down to one word. And that's looking at every challenge and figuring out how am I going to solve this problem today? Um, and then, the, you know, the last one is pretty straightforward. Have fun. If you're having fun and you love what you're doing um, and you're passionate about what you're doing, then all the things that you're, you're learning, even the things that are challenging and scary, you're going to look back on and go with a smile and go, wow, I learned all of that. Or we, we succeeded through that challenge. We figured that out. And so... That would really be the code that I love this. Just do your, do your best, never give up, and have fun. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence so you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have the pleasure of being live on the line with Mr. Stephen Wilcox. Stephen, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Excited to be here today. Thanks, Richard, for having us. Yeah, awesome. Glad to have you here. And we were chatting before we got on here. You said you're you're actually from the town I was born in, in uh, in Oceanside, California. Is that right? Yeah, we're, we're based out of Oceanside. And, uh, you know, I grew up just up the way in Temecula and learned how to surf down here. And the goal was just to get to the coast. And uh, we're here, we're staying. And uh, it's a great place to, to be enjoying life and starting a business. That's oh, for sure. Yeah. I, I graduated high school from Marietta Valley High. So we, uh, we competed with Temecula's uh, um, school all the time for football. And uh, I know we always teased you because uh, the colors over there in Temecula were, uh, were brown, brown and yellow. Yeah, they're a little bit on the messy side, you know. That I, I, that's funny. That it's small world, super small world. It is small world. So, what I'm going to do real quick for those of um, those of my audience who don't know who you are, you are uh, still. So, Stephen Wilcox is a uh, graduate of Chapman University, Orange County, California. After school, he began working with global action sports brands such as Oakley, Quicksilver, DC Shoes, and Roxy, where he developed fundamental understanding of brand building and the strategies required to off. Um, authentically reach a brand's audience. Today, you are the founder and CEO of Parkit, which is an outdoor brand that wants you to get outside and enjoy exploration. Parkit's first product, an outdoor chair you guys call the Voyager, launched on Kickstarter during the peak of our global pandemic. Um, and despite the restrictions on outdoor activities, you guys raised over 500,000 in pre-order sales in less than 60 days and are now preparing for your formal debut in 2021 as a direct consumer e-commerce brand. So, Sounds like you have quite the uh, the interesting story there. So why don't we start off with what is you telling me what it is that you're known for, um, what your business is like, and you know who you serve, like what your product actually is. Yeah, so our product, as you mentioned, is called the Voyager. The Voyager is an outdoor chair that we really looked at and and looked at what was on the market and decided that there was an opportunity to really fix what was on the market. Um, 
I'll never forget sitting around a campfire with a buddy of mine about three and a half years ago. And this is where the light bulb came on, but he goes to sit down in his chair and the bottom just ripped out from like, underneath him completely. It was kind of like when you're <laughs> in elementary school and you, you have the one friend who leans too far back in his seat. And next thing you know, you hear the big crash and everyone laughs and you know, it's a, it's a good laugh at the moment. And then in my mind, I went, Oh my God, this is a, a product that we can improve. And so we just went to town and we've really improved the dynamics of what an outdoor camping and beach chair could be. Um, it's got a cooler built into it. So it's two products in one. The cooler is detachable. Um, so if you want to use the cooler away from the chair, you're more than welcome to. It has capacity for 12 to 15 cans and uh, will hold ice for eight or more hours. And so, you know, really took what was on the market, elevated wow. it, and uh, we put it into a really beautifully designed package that's gotten a lot of notoriety from the press over the last couple of months as well. Yeah, yeah, and I see you got a bunch of colors and everything as well. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they're. Uh, um, have they started shipping it all yet? Not yet. So uh, the you know Kickstarter, the beauty of Kickstarter um, is that it allows us to raise a, a good grip of capital to get the business started uh, without having to go jump in and meet with an investor of any kind and be like, hey, here's fifty percent of our company. Thanks for your cash. We get to generate that cash for ourselves and maintain ownership entirely of the business. Um, and so we put that capital to work, um, basically building our supply chain, setting up our logistics partners. And uh, we launched actually production on certain aspects of the chair a little over a week and a half ago. And we have a meeting tonight with our factory uh, to finalize the last pieces and really put everything into mass production. So that's exciting stuff. So when are, when are you expecting to actually get your first, uh, your first units off the production line? We are targeting... Uh, February. They should be landing in our warehouse in February based upon our timelines right now. But with uh, the elements of the global pandemic and COVID, uh, there's definitely some logistics challenges that we would need to have everything fall in place to make that happen. So we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed for February, but ideally, you know, everyone will be receiving their, uh, their chairs from Kickstarter in March or April of next year. And, and that's perfectly in time for us to get back outside and enjoy the so, summer months and summer yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see your, you have, you have one of these chairs behind you there. Is that, is that one of the chairs there? Yeah. This is actually one of our prototypes. Um, you can see that the, the cup holder on it's actually white. That's a 3d printed cup holder that we, we refined, at, you know, thousands of felt like thousands of times. Uh, to make sure that the cup holder fit perfectly with the chair. It's actually interchangeable from the left side to the right side, uh, which is pretty cool. If you're a left-handed person, the majority of the things on the planet are built for right-handed people. And so with our product, uh, we cater to you depending upon what your preference is. So just pick it up and move it. It also has uh, cutouts for um, canteens, like your insulated water bottles that you get from Yeti or uh, like Hydro Flask. So those work with it. Um, it also works with traditional cans. And then it has like, a little- like this one? Yep, bingo. <laughs> And uh, it actually has a little cutout too, built specifically for coffee mugs. So uh, if you wake up in the morning and you're at your campsite and you want to have a nice cup of coffee or tea, uh, you can enjoy that without having to grab or, or worry about spilling the, spilling your coffee. You can just have that coffee mug handle slide right into the cup holder and you're good to go. So, so here's the thing that, you know, because my audience knows we live full time on the road. One of the things that bothers us about all of the camping chairs and um, is that well, there's two things. One is um they're all built with shitty materials mm -hmm. excuse my french all of them so i've not ha yet had a camping chair last more than a year of full-time use mm -hmm. um, because they get hit with rain they get hit with snow they get hit with everything right so they get all the things all the bolts rust out of them and they fall out and die that's the first thing and then the second one is all the materials are really really slow drying so if they get rained on 
your chair is just out of commission for the next like two days while it dries. Yep. So, so how does how does your hand your chairs handle weather and that kind of stuff? Yeah. So um, our chair handles weather pretty well. Um, our aluminum frame is actually aircraft grade aluminum. Um, so it's a more durable, it's not, you know, we're not going to the low end of the road. We're going the high end in terms of, of durability and strength. And so there's a, a great element of weight capacity to it. Our chair so far, we've been able to test it with 350 pounds of weight and stood up to all of those tests. And so from an industrial standpoint, we're kicking butt there. Uh, the armrests are wood, um, but they're sealed. And so what you'll come across with a lot of other chairs that have wood armrests is they won't actually seal the armrest. And so what that does is it opens yeah. it up to, to mold and especially they, where you guys integrate. Yep. They fall right apart. So ours are sealed, um, which is going to be great for environmental protection. Um, in terms of the fabric, it's a woven polyester fabric that's very tight and very thin. Um, so if it does get wet, it's more apt to dry relatively quickly as long as you get it in some sunlight. And so we're not looking at something that if you store it and stuff it away in your garage in the dark and then you're in the south and it's humid, uh, we're avoiding as much of those type of mold issues as we could possibly find. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll have to check out your chairs when they start shipping here because, you know, our our current chairs are hitting on the end of their, their limit before they're going to start falling apart on us. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so. You know, there's so, so many times. I think one of the pieces, too, to ours that a lot of people don't recognize when they're going out there and purchasing an outdoor chair is just the convenience factor of how to get from your car or your RV or wherever it is that you are to the area that's going to be your base camp for the day. And we've actually incorporated carry straps that can be configured three different ways. Um, backpack, uh, traditional over the shoulder, kind of like a, like a purse or a satchel bag. And then we have across the chest, um, similar also in the way to like a bike messenger bag would wear a, a cyclist would wear their messenger bag. And so through those three different carrying styles, it allows you to have your hands free to carry whatever else you need, fishing poles, surfboards, um, umbrellas, whatever nice. it is. is and to does, get does to the cooler stay on it when it's, when it's being carried that way? Yeah, it's all connected through carabiner clips. So, uh, the cooler itself has little hooks on it. And then you just pop those right through the carabiner clips after you fill it up in the, in the kitchen with all of your goodies. And then you're off to the races and you don't have to worry about and carrying a cool, dragging a cooler, carrying a chair and uh, your hands are good to go. <laughs> can you, uh, can you get the chair with and without the cooler? Uh, right now we are only offering the chair with the cooler. Um, that's just, a, it's an element of being so early stage in our business. Uh, but we anticipate, uh, releasing a, a, a cooler list chair, uh, hopefully by the end of 2021, a lot of it has to do with just our supply chain and, and making sure yeah, that yeah. we're mitigating our risk in the early stages of our business. And so, uh, the, the thing I always like to press upon, cause we get this question quite often is that at the end of the day, it's extra storage. Yes, it is a cooler. So, if you do have a cooler that you like to bring camping and everything, that storage piece is going to work great for anything else that you want to put in there. So one of the things that I do pretty often is I'll actually skateboard down to a wave in Southern California called trestles. Um, and I've brought in this prototype with me a couple of times. And so I've got the surfboard under the arm, the, the chair slung over the shoulder, and I've got my camera equipment stored inside the cooler um, within its own oh, little nice. case. And so it works as a, basically a little backpack for me as well as, as a beer storage when we're at the campsite. <laughs> cool ideas. So what I want to talk about then is your origin story, right? We talk on the show all the time. Every good comic beer book hero has an origin story. It's a thing that made them into the hero they are today. Mm -hmm. um, I want to hear that story. Were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into the outdoor equipment business? Um, or did you start in a job and eventually move your way into becoming an entrepreneur? Basically, how did you get to where you are now? 
Yeah. So I actually was snowboarding and um, I met a bear and the bear actually spoke to me. No, just kidding. I, I was trying to think of some sort of Spider-Man <laughs> origin story with a, with a bear and a mountain. And, uh, but no, um, yeah, the well, meeting, story... meeting a bear that spoke to you sounds like Russian, Russian fairy tale. Baba Yaga had a bear. The, uh, the, what is it? The, the God of winter, I think is a bear anyways. And he talks to people. Oh, no, we didn't. We, unfortunately, we didn't run into that guy. It would have been great. It would have helped me, you know, for, <laughs> this is the plan. Follow the plan. Um, no, the way that we really came about the idea for Park It um, and, and really our product was, was really through the experiences that I had had with other brands and other businesses out of college. Um, you know, I was fortunate to, to land a, a role in the marketing team at Oakley. Um, at Oakley, I got to see, you know, what an absolute machine that company was, you know, at maximum efficiency in all of their processes and, and eventually sold to Luxottica for a couple billion dollars. And I talk about a place to go and, and learn what it takes to, to really scale and, and run a massive, a massive organization like that. Then I went over to Quicksilver and Quicksilver within the first two weeks that I had been hired, um, had an all hands meeting and pulled us all in and said, hey, everybody, we're filing chapter 11. Um, we're going, and which for, you know, for the listeners who aren't aware, chapter 11 is uh, restructure bankruptcy. Um, yeah, so yeah. There's, two, there's chapter seven, which is like, we're gone, we're absolving, um, sell all our assets. The other side is chapter 11, where you restructure. And so I found this out kind of just joining the team there and got exposed to everything that they had really done wrong that led to the chapter 11. And also everything that we had to do as a marketing team to really reposition the brand into the action sports place the way that we did. And I, I, after I looked at the two of those experiences, I really recognized you have an incredible skill set now where you've been a part of the teams and you've seen the strategies at play that take one brand and scale it and make it the behemoth that it is. And the other one to re to U-turn it and get it back into that position of prominence. If you can take what you've learned from all of these and apply it to your own brand someday, there's really nothing stopping you from getting your messaging out to the world and showing people what your products are and your, your mission and, and connecting with people in the same sense that those types of brands have. And so that was really the light bulb moment for me was this is where entrepreneurship can be the key to my own success and my lifestyle design. And, you know, like we're sitting in a garage right now, you're, you're, you're traveling in an RV. I'm sitting in a garage. I'm surrounded by snowboards and surf equipment and all that stuff. Like that's the lifestyle that I live. And, uh, was always trying to figure out how to blend the two of them together to to make work and play the same. And uh, it wasn't until my buddy sat down in the chair that I recognized we we, ha we finally have a we finally have a tool here where we can use this product not only as a, we can not only elevate the product in terms of its features and its durability, but we can use this product and make it a symbol of what our brand stands for, which is community building, storytelling, and adventure, and using our product in those environments to really draw those connections to one another and build that community and, and do all the things that we love to do. So uh, that's kind of the long winded story of how we got to that position. But, you know, that's the radioactive yeah. spider that bit me. It was a bankruptcy. <laughs> that's really cool. And especially to have, have the experience on both sides of that with, uh, with companies that are really rocking it and companies that are falling apart. And I remember uh, um, I had a, a company that I worked with that um, filed chapter 11 um, after I was done working with them and they brought me back in um, as a consultant, they're like, hey, we need your help with some of these uh, marketing things that we never let you implement when you worked here. <laughs> we, need to, we need to talk about them. Funny uh, how that happens. I got to, you know, yeah, yeah, they brought us, they brought us back, brought me back in on, as a consultant stuff and, you know, paid me a bunch more um, and then actually did all the things I told them to do. And we were able to uh, get the company out of Chapter 11 because of that. Um, and 
and you know save the company but that's it's one of those things that like you once you learn those skills and you learn how valuable marketing and storytelling is and knowing how to get your message to your audience um it's it's a powerful thing yeah so absolutely yeah so i'm curious then with the with the the chair brand um was is with the whole like messaging for a chair right so like a chair is as far it it's difficult to tell a story about a chair. How have you guys learned to to tell the story and connect it with the lifestyle and those kind of things for, for your marketing? Yeah, great question. And so um, the way that we've done that is one, you know, there's the features to it and we don't need to jump through the features again, but the for us, uh, what a chair is, is it's one of the things that we like to say all the time is that it's more than just a chair. And when we say that, what we're talking about is that a chair symbolizes things to many different people. Some people, it means absolutely nothing. It's just something you sit in because you don't want to stand any longer. Um, for some people, you know, they have their grandfather's rocking chair and it sits on their porch and it's something that's like a historical family heirloom that, that moves from house to house to house, you know? And so we we register that these pieces of, these products have significance to people in much more than just oftentimes much more than just what kind of like the the black and white version of the product is and so for us a chair symbolizes one a a, a storytelling a, a piece for storytelling and so through that when i say that you know if you and i were sitting around we could easily have this conversation around a campfire with a couple of beers and we're learning about one another. We're learning about your background, how you were born at Tri-City, you, your Thanksgivings were down the street from where I currently live. You know, like we're learning about one another and we're doing it in, in the tangible world. We're not doing it digitally. We're doing it like where I can stand up and shake your hand and say, it was great to meet you. And now we were able to expand our community. And so for us, you know, this, the, the chair symbolizes storytelling. It symbolizes a, a tool that can be used to build community. And through all of that, you know, we get to do this dynamic of where we get to grow that community and share the values of what it is that makes park it, park it, and what you, makes you, you, and what makes me, me. And uh, that messaging and, and that value, those values instilled into our products has really resonated with a lot of our customers. And that's been really exciting to see. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. One of the things I tell all I tell my my friends and my students and my my kids all the time is that human beings are a story born people, right? Mm -hmm. And we judge the depth of our relationships on how much of the other person's story we know, right? So it, you know, you might call an acquaintance is someone who you know their name but you don't know any of their story, and a friend is someone who you know their name and you know a lot of their story, but a best friend is someone you know so much of their story that the only way to grow your relationship any deeper is to go out and create new experiences together. Right? Exactly. And, yeah. And that's, that's how we, that's how we judge the depth of relationships is by how much of each other's stories, you know, right. And um, I love the idea of the chair being a, a centerpiece to that lifestyle. Um, and it's, it's so true, right. Cause you know, I said, we travel and live and do all sorts of fun things. And the one thing we always have to make sure we bring with us is our chairs. Yep. I've <laughs> um, and what I love about your story and the, like what you guys are building is that from, you know, from someone who uses camp chairs all the time, literally it's the only chairs we own. Every chair we own folds in some form or fashion because of, because of our life is, is most of the chairs are not um, like you mentioned, you know, the chairs that you bring from house to house that are an heirloom stuff. Mm -hmm. They're, they're not heirloom quality. They're throwaway quality. Like everything, you know, if you pick up a chair at Walmart or even at REI, uh, most of the camp chairs are throwaway, right? They're mm -hmm. designed to last a season or two and then they're done. Yep. Uh, 
and there's there's no like history or significance that's going to go along with the actual chair. Um, and anyways, I think that's a it's a cool a cool way to um, I don't know bring quality back to something that has been turned into a, like a cheap commodity. Yeah, you know, like like the whole outdoor industry in itself, um, they really were like the reason why we see these poor quality chairs is it was just a race to the bottom who could produce yeah. the most for the cheapest and then offer it at Walmart at the absolute cheapest price. And like, when we think back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, like that made sense. That was the only way for us to, to, to sell anything was to get into these big box stores, like a Walmart or a Dick's Sporting Goods. And, and those guys know how to make money on the margin. And then it, it just all became like a finance game. And one of the beautiful things I think uh, from marketing over the last decade is the transition from the wholesale B2B model to the direct to consumer model online, where it allows the brands to engage with people directly. And it's like, if you want to talk to us at Parkit, go on our Instagram at parkitmovement.com, hit us up in the DMs. Like you're talking to me and my girlfriend and like some of the interns that we work with, like you're talking to our team directly. And that didn't exist. Like, like uh, Nike put billboards up that said, just do it right in the eighties and the seventies and eighties. You, we only saw that because we drove down a freeway and saw the billboard. We didn't have any personal touch point with yeah, the brand. Yeah. And today that exists. And what that allows is it allows us to have a consumer that's not only engaged with us on a personal level, but they're able to go and find products and businesses that align with their values. If you're a coffee company and you make all of your bags out of recycled plastic, and so you're going the greener route, and that's something that you believe in. Well, as a coffee connoisseur, I may want to go and purchase from them instead of the guy down the street because I believe in what their what their brand and their company stands for, right? And that never yeah, had existed and you can in the past. A tribe all over the, the world. Exactly, and that that never existed. And I think that's one of the the crazy things. Like you know, there's there's all the goods that's the good things that have come from social media, and there's also the bad things that have come from social media. If anyone's seen the social dilemma on Netflix over the last couple of months, um, that's a wild documentary to watch. But if you look at the positive side of it is that it's allowed us to have that community and uh, have those values and create those dynamics from a business sense um, that never existed before. And it's given way to so many new startup businesses and startup brands who have missions that tie into some sort of value that really resonates with their consumer base. Um, and in my opinion, makes the world really, you know, a more positive place. We just got to find them a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that. It reminds me of uh, of one of my primary problems we run into traveling with with the family and shares in particular is you mentioned the uh, the big box stores mm-hmm. and operating on the margin right so is we have four children so we have to have like kid sized chairs and all uh, the entire market for kid sized chairs which is you know they're all the same couple of brands that are selling at Walmart or you know Dick Sporting Goods or Academy Sports or whatever. Um, they're like $5 chairs that are just the worst. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, or, or, you know, they're $15 chairs. I'm like, I would, I would happily pay you guys 80, 90, hundred dollars for a chair for my kids. It'll last through their whole childhood until they grow out of it. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> uh, and the other thing about those too, is that, is they're poorly built in terms of like structural integrity too. So when you're sitting in them, like your back isn't, you're, you're not in an ergonomically healthy position too. Typically when you're sitting in these cheap chairs, you're, you're kind of slouched. You're, you're, if you're, I'm thinking of like the canvas ones that telescope in and out, Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like those, there's that weird curve and what you're doing is you're actually like displacing your hips in an unnatural position. And so like long-term health effects of like enjoying those types of chairs is, is definitely something that I think people are, are not necessarily thinking of when they turn 70, 80 years old, they go to the doctor and they're like, Oh, you, you have hip problems. Well, it's because you've been sitting poorly your whole life. 
Um, and so yeah. we, we made sure that when we built ours too, we took into account the, the natural ergonomic science behind how our body wants to move and how it wants to sit. And we've, you know, put the seat height at a specific height for that. We put the recline at a specific height for that as well. And so we're not only focusing on having a, a long lasting durable product, but an enjoyable and comfortable product. That's not going to cause you any type of hip dysplasia as you get older. So we put in a lot yeah, of effort. Yeah. Our team did a great job with, uh, with thinking of everything. And, and to your point about the direct to consumer brand stuff like that is without, without that, if you were to remove that from the equation, the only option for me as a consumer or other consumers like me is the big box stores, right? Mm -hmm. That are buying from manufacturers or manufacturing their own stuff. And like, that's all there is. Um, but if you step out and you see like what you guys are building with, uh, with Kickstarter and other things like that, where you can actually go direct to consumer and you can talk to the, uh, founders and talk to the things and be like, Hey, this is what we want to see in the marketplace. This is what I would pay for. Mm -hmm. Right. And those things get created. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's, a uh, it's, it expands the horizons for the marketplace. And I think, you know, it adds a lot of value. So it's very cool. <laughs> So my next question for you then is about your superpowers, right? So we say every iconic hero has a superpower, whether it's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. Um, in the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over time um, that really tie everything else together. They tie all your skills together. It's the, uh, you know, the common thread that ties all of your skills together um, and really helps you to help your clients or help your your consumers um, get the result they're looking for. Um, so when it comes to your business, what do you think your superpower is? Uh, so there's there's two of them. I don't know if that's allowed. Am I allowed to have two superpowers? Absolutely. All right. Um, so the two superpowers I would call on are, are number one um, is the ability to be creative and understand how to utilize creativity and form brand building. Um, there's an element to creativity where you could be an artist and you can paint and you have, you know, you have a thousand different styles of painting. Right. And like, can the, the, the tricky thing with branding is that you have to take that paintbrush and you have to tell a cohesive story and create a cohesive experience for people. And so what I mean by that is, is when you are, when you're younger and, and Oakley, you, let's say you play baseball, like I did, and you go to spring training, uh, Oakley's going to pull up with this massive, you know, like, basically semi truck that when you enter the front end of the truck, you get to go through this crazy Oakley experience where you see the different goggles and the, the sunglasses and the athletes using them. It's kind of like Terminator esque, right? You're getting that experience. Yeah. Well, that's branding. That's, that's an artistic story that they're using to connect what their company stands for with what you, you stand for as a consumer and find that, that common ground. Right. Well, if I pull into an Oakley truck another six months later and it's a completely different experience, I'm going to have an incongruity with the company and I'm not going to feel like, Hey, you, you used to tell me this, but now you're telling me this. And so there's an element to branding. Um, that the reason I say that as a superpower is because you want to make sure that the messaging is always aligned. You want to make sure that the values that we're presenting on day one are the values we're presenting on day 30. And also the values we're presenting on day 3000, 10 years down the line from now. And you want that to be streamlined. And yeah, then when yeah. you start to, when you start to break, that messaging and you start to deter from those foundational values, you become convoluted and messy. And that's, that's one of the things that I learned from my time at Quicksilver was through that bankruptcy, they made some of those decisions that diluted their brand value. Um, and so that's the piece of the puzzle. I think that, you know, when it comes to where the superpower in me lies in terms of go to market and how to help businesses, it's finding those, those core values for the brand and what connects with their consumers and helps them grow. Um, the second superpower is just learning. 
my, my mom is an elementary school teacher. I think that's part of the reason why I look at everything as a learning experience. Um, if you task me with something that I don't know how to do, it's not a question of, well, I don't know how to do that. It's a question of, cool, I get to learn something today. And having that mindset about challenges um, allows you to really tackle anything that's in front of you. And in entrepreneurship, you know, there's countless roadblocks that get thrown in front of you. For example, I'm a brand guy, like I just mentioned, I know, I don't know a whole lot about logistics. Um, I am learning every day how we can reduce our cost to maximize the speed at which we can ship our products and get it to our customers faster and make sure that we're doing it at a cost effective way. And I'm learning that every day. And so if I can uh, continue utilizing the, the skill of learning and, and pair that with the branding and the messaging, then uh, I've, I've, I can be the industrial superhero or indestructible superhero that a uh, park needs me to be. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love the, uh, the, the thought about the branding stuff and keeping everything consistent. I, I refer to that in a, uh, um, in our business, because one of the things that we we've done for a lot of a lot of years is help uh, like online entrepreneurs build their what I call a heroic brand. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, um, one of the things we talk about is unconscious trust signals, right? The the things that make consumers um, feel like they can trust you versus not. Mm -hmm. um, and those are things like like the simple things. And I was I, there's always like four that I always tell people about is there's the uh, you know consistent use of your typefaces, mm -hmm. right? You pick a couple, you stick with them, you use them, right? And like it's you know one of those things like you can tell like Apple for instance, they they have their own typeface they developed in house that they used for 25 years, and when they changed it, it was a big deal, and they made it as a marketing announcement. They're like, hey, we came up with a new San Francisco typeface, right? Um, mm -hmm. So like, the consistent use of typefaces, consistent use of colors, and consistent use of your messaging. Um, and your photography is really what it's those unconscious trust signals that even if you someone who's not educated in branding, um, they're going to see those um, and they may not be able to tell you why one company is trustworthy and another one isn't. Um, but th those unconscious trust signals are going to uh, going to really make a huge difference in whether or not they want to purchase from you in the future. Oh, yeah. And I'm glad you bring up Apple because I think that's one of the things that made Steve Jobs so successful early on was that he was so hyper-focused um, on making sure that the products that they designed were beautiful. Um, yeah. He wanted things to be like seamless and clean. And like, there's a reason why our phones look the way that they do and our computers look the way that they do. And, you know, when you think back to 10 years ago, when, um, when Apple came out with their first MacBook Pros, oh, not first, but I, at least they were the first ones that I started to get involved with. Um, I just remember looking at that computer and then looking at my mom's Dell PC and being like, why on earth would I ever buy a Dell? That thing looks like a, it, it doesn't look nearly as like, like beautiful as this Apple one does. Right. And that's yeah. a piece of Apple's brand. And then when you get into the story of Steve Jobs, you know, like he dropped out of the classes that he wanted to at the college he was at and took a calligraphy course. And he attributes that calligraphy course. It's in a speech that he gives to Stanford where he talks about how that calligraphy course gave him the mindset and understanding to recognize how important that uniformity and how that design features play into the role of what it is that we, we perceive as consumers. Um, and it's just, you know, I, I could go on all day along about how he, changed a lot of the things, not just from a technological standpoint, but from a marketing and go-to-market standpoint. Uh, but we're, we're not here talking about Steve Jobs' superpowers. We're talking about uh, Parkit, so. I say one of, one of the, uh, to, to mention the calligraphy, one of the things I'm currently learning is how to, how to do some calligraphy for almost the same reason. Yeah. <laughs> learning how to like, just, you know, to your point, the second superpower learning, one of the things that I always, uh, 
um, I always try to do is have something that is not work related that, mm-hmm. that I'm just I'm working on learning. Right. So I've got last year it was a piano. This year it's uh, learning how to do a, how to do black letter calligraphy um, and, you know, traveling on the road in an RV means that I'm constantly learning things that I hadn't planned on learning. Like, you know, when you accidentally stick a forklift in the back of your RV and have to learn how to fiberglass it to fix it <laughs> <laughs> and other various things like that. Um, but yeah, the uh, the the ability to to look at everything that happens in your life, not as roadblocks or as, you know, things that are going to stop you or slow you down, but as opportunities to learn. And, um, you know, my best friend and I always tease it. It's like it's like we're leveling up in a video game. Right. It's mm-hmm. like you just picked up a new skill. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's a great way to put it. It's like uh, when I think of the things that I knew about running a business when I first conceived the idea of Park It back in 2017 uh, versus the things that I'm doing now day to day are completely, you know, not at all what Instagram makes running a direct consumer brand look like, you know, like I feel like before I, I launched Park It, I was watching a couple buddies run direct consumer brands and I would see what they were doing and was like, oh, like, they're running sales online and Facebook's got their ads running and they've got all these automations built in. And so they probably just, you know, like order the product, it shows up and then it ships. And I'm like, I mean, how ignorant of, a, of me at, at 17 years old to think that that's all that goes into it. But now we're in the stages where like, I'm doing things that if you were ever in another organization, you know, like they have entire departments for that, where, where the knowledge gets spread up and down and, and it, it, it gets pretty siloed, you know, cause it's like, we want to make sure that operations and logistics is dialed in. We need our sales team kicking butt. We need our marketing team kicking butt. Well, in the entrepreneurial world, like you're doing all of it, you're learning all of it. You're learning it as fast as your yeah, brain can yeah. process it. And uh, so even though some of the things you look at, you're like, I have no idea how to do this. Well, you know, thank God for Google. At the end of the day, you're going to figure out the solution somehow and you're going to open the right conversation with the right person and they start to mentor you and teach you everything as well. So it's a, a lot, a lot of learning. You have to be willing to, to take, you know, I, I, we've been watching The Mandalorian. I don't know how many people are watching that, but uh, when you watch that show, I just keep thinking of like how everything that this guy is going through um, trying to get this baby Yoda wherever it's supposed to go is just like a problem. It's like, boom, another problem here. Boom, shipper issue here. Boom, that problem here that he has to solve. And he just kind of puts his head down and goes, all right, well, this is the situation. I got to solve this today. And uh, there's a lot of that in entrepreneurship where you just have to put your head down and go solve the problem that gets presented in front of you. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And it's interesting because as you pick up skills, it almost feels like at some point you're like, you know, in video games where you get like late game and you feel like you're running on God mode, like, Hey, Mm -hmm. I can just destroy all these problems. And then you realize, you know, the next like big challenge comes up and you're like, Oh, maybe not. Right. Mm -hmm. I just, I got really good at that level. And there's a whole other level of things that you have to learn. Um, right. And so like eventually with your business, you'll get to that point where you're building those silos, right. You're building those teams. And like, that's a whole different like skill set of learning how to hire people and build teams and, um, get the, get them to operate and do the things at the level that you want them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those are all like new challenges you get to look forward to figuring out, um, yep. you know, in the future. So oh, yeah, cool. tons of those coming. So, um, you, you mentioned a second ago, I'm not sure if you misspoke that in 2017, you were 17. So are you only 19? No, years no, no, no. I'm business? sorry. No, I meant that when we conceived the idea for the business in 2017, Okay. So I, I'm, actually, I, I, I'm 29. I'll be 30 uh, in a couple of months. So uh, yeah, 
I was I was about to be overly impressed if you were 19 years old and running this company. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, sometimes I watch Shark Tank and these kids go on there. and I'm like, why wasn't I doing that at 17? But I was, you know, at 17, I was trying to figure out how to get on the closest bus that was to my house with my surfboard to go surf. I wasn't focused on trying to figure out how to, to grow a business or any of those things. So, yeah, um, yeah. same yeah. here. It wasn't until I was a little bit older where I was like, you know what, I could actually do something about this and, and create stuff. So... Mm-hmm. Listen, the flip side of your superpower is your fatal flaw, right? And just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, um, you probably have a flaw that's held you back in growing Parkit. Um, maybe for like, for me, it was a couple of things that str- I've struggled with over the years is like perfectionism that kept me from actually shipping um, products or services we had going up or lack of self-care, which meant for me, I was, you know, letting clients walk all over me and not actually uh, having good, solid, healthy boundaries um, between my personal life and my business. Um, and I think, but more important than what the flaw is, is how have you worked to rectify it as you've grown this company um, mm-hmm. and worked to overcome it? So people who are listening might learn a little bit from your experience. So a, one of the biggest flaws, I would say, uh, that is my kryptonite um, is reading comprehension. Um, and it was this way too, when I took the SATs, I remember scoring incredibly well on math. I remember doing really well on writing. And when it came to the reading comprehension portion, I, I just kind of like spiraled down and it's still a challenge for me today. And, and part of it just has to do with the fact that there's an element um, for me of dyslexia that I sometimes look at and go, all right, cool. Like trying to read it. And then my brain will just wander and I'll be reading through these like really important legal documents. It's like focus, like stay focused. So it's like ADHD, all the things. And I've always been challenged with that. And one of the things that when you're starting a business is you're coming across a lot of contracts and you got to read and know the ins and outs of every piece of those contracts. Um, You know, there could be one clause in there that if you just like your mind escapes you for a second and you're kind of just like your eyes are just following the words on a page, but you're not comprehending what it says. Like that can be a complete like barrier for uh, whether or not you're going to be able to, to raise the amount of money you need or whether or not you have the control over your business that you need um, in order to make the right decision. And so one of the, the things that I've been doing to combat that is really just like annotating the absolute life out of these, uh, contracts that we get through just to make sure that I comprehend every single piece of it and really dive through all of it. Yeah. You know, because, you know, it's not something that you want to look at and go, Oh man, uh, I missed that line. Didn't understand that. Now we are in these circumstances legally bound, you know? And so, but that's definitely been the, the piece of the puzzle that's been the most challenging is making sure that I'm putting all those pieces in the right place. And thankfully, uh, my girlfriend's an incredible partner in, in the sense that we don't really work together on the business, but she lends a lot of her time and her expertise and she helps guide through some of those things as well. And, and uh, I come to her with all the notes and she goes, it seems like we've got everything. Ask them these questions. And, it, you know, without her, I, I don't know if a lot of the things that I'm supposed to ask get asked. And uh, it's been awesome having her kind of to help support the kryptonite, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My uh, my mom has uh, dyslexia as well. And um, when she was going through college, she struggled with the same thing. Um, and she was going through college when, after she had me. Um, and so my dad was around. And one of the things that helped her a lot, and it may help you and your girlfriend may do this for you already, is uh, just having whatever text she had to comprehend, have it read to her. Like she mm-hmm. would read it through herself, but then have it, someone else read it to her as well. Because um, her her listening comprehension for the same stuff is like through the roof compared to reading it. Um, Yeah. It's amazing how different each of us learn, you know, like um, I'm a very hands-on learner. Like if you, like, for example, the other day, like we've got a ton of containers coming over on, on freight ships at some point, once the product, once production completes. Right. 
we're going to have those land in a, in a warehouse and I'm going to be unpacking those containers and storing everything. And, and, you know, we'll have a group of people helping us with it, I hope. Uh, but at the end of the day, like I've never unloaded a container. Uh, that's not been a part of any of my job descriptions in the past. Um, but fortunately had a buddy who just the other day called me and said, Hey, I know you've got all these containers coming. Do you want to help us unload one? So you can see all the steps and everything that goes into it. Um, you can talk to me about a container. You can write me a report about what we should do. Uh, but I learn the absolute best when I get to get in there and see the process with my eyes, I get to do the process with my hands. And so when I get to be in there physically doing something, I learn and absorb that so much faster. And, and one of the things that I think a lot of people in regardless of whether or not you're an entrepreneur or if you're in management in a massive company, um, you have to be aware of the different ways in which people learn because you may speak to one employee one way and you may train another employee a completely different way. And being aware of those types of differences allows you to tackle challenges the right way and with more efficiency and with more, hopefully improved results. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's such a, it's, it's an important thing too, um, for all aspects of life. Like, you know, like you mentioned everything from your employees to learning yourself to, you know, in our case, we homeschool four children and you know, I got one of them who's a visual kinesthetic learner like you and another one who's an auditory learner. And, for the longest time we struggled with my oldest son because my my wife is a kinesthetic learner herself and mm -hmm. so she likes to do things with her hands and then like play music or a video or a tv show in the background just to like distract her head so she can focus mm -hmm. um, and my son who's an auditory learner can't he can't work at all um if the uh, there's that music going in the background all he's doing is listening to that music or listening to the tv show or listening to whatever and i was finally like you, you have to turn that off and let him just focus on it because, or, you know, let him, let him listen to the work that he's doing. Um, yep. And it, it's, it's, it's so important to understand how the people on your team learn so that you can, uh, you can get the results you're looking for. Yep. Absolutely. I, I think one of the things too, that I can relate to with your son is um, I'm sure other people can relate to it too. You'll be typing an essay or typing an email or, or whatever it is. And you'll be listening to music and suddenly you look down and you've like typed the last five words of the song. Um, and you're like, how did I do that? Like, how did I get to here? And well, one of the things that I, I've started doing, and it, maybe this will help your son is I listen to music when I work that has no words in it whatsoever. And so it helps kind of like put me in a rhythm state. Um, yeah. But at the same time, they, they're not telling me what to potentially write and then find my fingertips going through the lyrics of a song. Yeah, yeah, I've, uh, I've done the same thing because I'm, I'm like my son, I'm an auditory learner. So I have to I have to have stuff that is just beats or just uh, just music and stuff like that um, with mm -hmm. no no lyrics to it. Otherwise, I'm gone and whatever the lyrics are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right there with you. Completely the same. Yeah. So my next question for you, then, is about your common enemy. Right. So every superhero has an arch nemesis. It's a thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world. Um, in the world of business, it takes a lot of forms. But generally speaking, we put it in terms of your clients. But since you haven't shipped your product yet, we may have to be a little creative with this. So um, generally, it's a mindset or it's a flaw that you're constantly having to fight to overcome in your business um, so that you can get the result you're looking for. So maybe for where you guys are at, what's the biggest thing that you've had to fight with in order to get your product to market? Oh my God, there's so many things. But immediately when you said, what's your arch nemesis, the first thing I thought of was cash flow. Um, yeah. And the reason why I say that, if anyone's read the book by Phil Knight um, called Shoe Dog, I highly recommend reading it. Um, it's just an incredible story of entrepreneurship um, and overcoming challenges and just having, you know, like learning what every, what, what it took to get Nike to, you know, where it is today. 
um, the entire book basically is about a cash flow problem. Um, he's like, starts off with, I was going to get these shoes from these guys in Japan and I was going to license them and sell them, but I couldn't get enough money to get the capital to buy the shoes from them to license them. But once I got them, I knew I could sell them for this much. And then I would have this much cash. And then I would basically, he was always maximizing the, the use of his cash, which always leaves very little cash to be utilized for something else. And, and I read this book two years ago and I remember going, all right, this sounds like what you're going to get yourself into. And now that we're in it, like we're in the midst of it, where we're cutting checks to production teams, we're, we're getting quotes from freight companies, we're figuring out logistics cost, and we're dialing in that that complete, you know, like where's that profit margin that we get to reinvest into the business. Um, that's definitely like easily the, the the biggest challenge, I think, and in terms of nemesis that we have is, is making sure that everything that we're putting together is putting us in a position to grow and scale profitably. Um, while maximizing our opportunity at the same time, it's a very tricky dance to try and do, but we're, we're doing it well so far. So, yeah. So with, with your Kickstarter campaign and all of the pre-sold shares that you have and having mm -hmm. to build everything, are you guys going to break even on your first shipment or are you guys going to actually have a profit on your first shipment so you can order more? Like, how's that going to go down? Yeah. So right now we're slated to break even, um, which, you know, I, I did a lot of research That's on this good. beforehand with Kickstarter. Um, when you break even on a Kickstarter, you basically have, have hit a home run. Um, there's a couple brands out there that I've looked into. And I remember one of them, I was reading their about story and how they launched on Kickstarter. And they're like, we raised 150 K. We were super excited. We thought we were going to be patting ourselves on the back with a little bonus check. Like all this like hard work leading up to the design and launch of our product has been worth it. By the time that they ran all the numbers and looked at it, they were upside down 10 K. And, you know, they're like, oh, well, I guess we're not giving ourselves any bonus. We got to figure out how to sell some more product, make up this margin and, uh, you know, grow our business. And so we made sure that going into it, like we knew that we wanted to, to get the capital we needed to get the all the supply chain built, to get all the tooling built out and make sure that, you know, if we want to produce 10,000 shares next year or 100,000 shares in two years, we'll have all the capabilities to do so. Um, and that's what our Kickstarter campaign was able to do for us. And the fact that we walked out of it. Uh, with basically no losses um, is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. So um, when you set out to build the Kickstarter campaign, did you already have all those numbers in place? Like, here's how much we're going to need to to able, you know, to get the tooling done, to build these chairs and all that stuff? Or is that something you sort of figured out as you were going and you started seeing the orders come in? You know, that's a great question. And it's definitely a combination of both. Um, there's an element to being as prepared as possible, right? And so you want to at least speak to a handful of the factories that you could potentially build your product. You want to get quotes from them on exactly what it's going to cost to get your product built. Um, and then you're going to take that information and you're going to hand that over to, to a freight company and go, hey, this is what our dimensions of our product are going to be. How many can we fit in a container? What's the cost of the container going to cost? Um, and you break all that stuff down to a per unit cost. And then you're going to go to the next stage and you're going to go, okay, cool. Once the containers landed at the port and it's in a warehouse, what's it cost us to ship this product from our warehouse in California to a customer in California? What's it going to cost us to ship from California to, to you guys in Florida? What's it going to cost to ship to somebody in New York or the Midwest? And so you want to do as much of that due diligence as you can upfront with the most relevant information that you have at the time. Um, we did as much of it as we could and looked at our numbers and we went perfect. If all of this goes to plan, we're going to make 50 K on our Kickstarter campaign. Well, COVID hits freight, freight charges change and boom, that 50 K is gone. We got to pay that into the, the, the increased freight cost because supply and demand has changed. 
Um, and so you want to have as much of that figured out as you possibly can, but you got to you at least be expected, you know, expect some form of variance. It's going to hit just because that's the nature of the marketplace. So, so here's my next sort of question for you is you break even on your Kickstarter campaign and you start, you know, you get all the orders fulfilled and you start selling to new customers. How, how, what's your projections for when you're going to start being what they call in the black, so to speak, actually making a profit? You know, we, we have those projections, uh, but I'm going to keep those in uh, the private side of the business. Um, okay. There's a, there's a point where if a couple things go our way, it happens really fast. There's a couple things that if it, those things don't go our way, um, you know, it, it's a little bit more of an organic growth and it takes a little bit longer. But uh, we've got some things in the hopper that could really help us get into the black a lot sooner uh, than later, which is exciting. Yeah, well, hopefully you guys hit hit the sooner one because I know the the more profitable your company is, the more good you can do in the world. So hopefully that goes uh goes the cards fall your way. Yeah, you know, <laughs> one of the things that's been really exciting for us is like you can find us online at parkitmovement.com, right? And uh, we would love to be parkit.com, but that was already taken. And so when we were trying to figure out our domain, um, this was a couple of years back, we were like, oh, okay, like. Well, the movement is about going outside and spending time outdoors with the people that you love the most. And so let's go, let's call it park it movement. And, um, you know, unbeknownst to us, like that actually became one of the smartest things we were ever able to do is because through that, um, with the success of our Kickstarter campaign, we immediately partnered with 1% for the planet, which uh, I don't know how many people are aware of 1% for the planet, but it was actually founded by the Patagonia founder, um, Javon Chouinard. Yeah. And basically it's a, it's an organization that partners or that pairs up businesses with nonprofits uh, that are focused on some form of environmental protection or, or sustainability measure. And uh, that kind of became the piece of our domain where it's like parkitmovement.com. Well, what's the movement? And for us, uh, for every chair that we sell, we actually plant one mangrove tree in Bayak, Indonesia. And a fun fact about mangrove trees versus, you know, traditional trees that you see on some of these buy one plant one campaigns is that mangrove trees actually sequester four times the carbon um, and turn that to oxygen than standard trees. And so uh, the movement cool. for us is, you know, building a more sustainable future with every sale of our products, get outside, enjoy them and uh, kick back, relax and enjoy the exploration. Yeah, absolutely. And more and more um, there's uh, I think it's a movement. I think I'm not, I could be wrong on this, but calling it conscious capitalism. Yes. Um, where consumers are interested in doing business with brands who are are have some form of give back in their um, in their marketing plan. Mm-hmm. 100%. That's a huge piece of it. You know, I think Tom's shoes really changed the game and what it means to be a, a socially responsible company. Um, and, uh, you know, hats off to them and what they did. And I'm sure there were people before them, but uh, Tom's shoes really made it a household idea. And uh, it's yeah. exciting to be, you know, at the helm of a brand that we know can make such an impact. Uh, it just takes time and some growth and exposure. And we'll be able to continue making an impact both in the way that people enjoy themselves around a campfire or on a beach and uh, so, in the planet as a whole. So I have a curious question about how, how you track the impact that you guys that that'll have um, in, in terms of like storytelling for marketing in the future. Yeah. Do you guys have any plans for that? Or is that like, is it sort of something you're just going to have to guess at? Or is that something that like the, the companies that you're, you're working with can actually give you stats on like, hey, here's what we've actually been able to do with what you guys have given to us? Yeah, no, great question. Thanks for thanks for diving a little bit deeper into it. Um, so the company we work with is a company called Sea Trees. 
Um, and Sea Trees is specifically focused on, I think they've got three projects that have to do with kind of buy one plant, one type of campaigns. One of them is the mangroves, which is in Bayak, Indonesia. Um, another one is kelp forest, which is out here in Southern California. And then I, I forget oh, what the nice. third one is right now off the top of my head. Um, but they track basically for every sale that we make, we know that that's one tree that we're planting. Right. So, and, and consumers or eventually we're going to have a way on our site where as you're going through the checkout, you can add more trees to your purchase, um, which will be nice. an exciting piece for us to implement. Uh, but through that, we'll be able to know, hey, Sea Trees, we've contributed this many trees. Um, here's the amount of dollars that come to cover that cost. Um, what's the impact of that? And so there's an element in the future where we'll certainly be creating some sort of content and some storyline around uh, the major impact the, that this has been able to have on on the environment. You know, like we've, we're already at 3,400 plus trees, um, which 3,400 times four, uh, you know, that's a lot of carbon being uh yeah, yeah. Back into oxygen versus a standard tree, so that's a pretty cool. Impact I, already. I feel like I feel like some camping trips with your chairs in Indonesia next to some mangroves is in your future at some point. Oh yeah, I lo- I've been unfortunate to go over to Indonesia twice uh, for surf trips, and um, man, it's it's a great place, a great culture, an incredible incredible side of the world. Um, definitely a lot of differences, you know, compared to what we experience daily here in the United States, but. Oh man, like uh, if I ever had to, to pick up and just plant my flag in another country, uh, you could find me on a cliff in Indonesia with a with a nice little <laughs> plate of nasi goreng, that's for sure. Nice. And I think that makes a good transition for my next question for you, which is about your driving force, right? The flip side of your common enemy, which you mentioned is cash flow, um, is your driving force. And just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you fight for with Parkit Movement? Um, what I fight for with Parkit Movement has a couple elements. One, um, I want to see people using our products in the environments in which you know those stories and those communities can be built. Um, that's one of the most exciting pieces for me is knowing that when these chairs get here, um, people are going to be using them and people are going to be sitting around campfires, telling stories, getting to know one each other. And uh, you know, like we're both we're both here based in America, and we can both say that there's a very very strong divide right now in our country. Um, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on. Um, And we hope that our chairs and and what they stand for and symbolize and the activities that people do with them helps bridge that divide and make that community a little bit more whole. Um, You know, I don't think we're going to solve world peace, but our products and the mission behind it help enable a little bit of that and foster that positive, that positive mission. Yeah. yeah. You, you mentioned earlier the, uh, the documentary about social media. Um, And I Mm -hmm. think part of, part of our divide, is coming from less in-person experiences, right? I was mm-hmm. I was watching a, a video the other day, um, and it, they were talking to people in New York, and New York is very, um, you know, they're very left-leaning, and they were asking asking them, "Have you ever met or spoken to a conservative?" And they talked to like a hundred people, and every single one of them said, "No, I've never spoken to a conservative in my life." Um, and so, to your point exactly, part of the bridging of that divide is if we just sat down around a fire more. Yeah. With our neighbors, we with can change our, the world. It's all we need to do. Just sit and, you know, it, it, to, to be a little biblical, it's just about breaking bread with one another. Um, yeah. It's about sitting around that. It's a, instead of sitting at the table and breaking bread, I'm sitting in a chair and you're saying, hey, pass me another beer. And I reach into my cooler below my seat and I throw you a beer. And we keep we, we, we get to know each other. And to this way that you expressed, you know, like an acquaintance is someone, you know, their name, but you don't know their story. And we get to make that transition from acquaintance to friend and friend to best friend. And our product helps facilitate that. And that's the piece of, you know, what's ahead of us that we're really excited about. 
And then in terms of, you know, for, for me, and for me, one of the things that I'm very excited about too, is just the element of being able to look at what we've built and go and know that this is what funds, you know, these careers for these people, this is what funds the food on the table for these families, you know, like, like building an organization that creates opportunity for people and and has a mission that people want to be a part of. Um, you know, like we have the people who work jobs and I'm sure, you know, plenty of them as, as well as I do, they hate their job. They hate their boss. They hate their company. Um, they're really just in it for the paycheck to, to make sure that they can get, you know, through the next month or whatnot. And we're going to have the chance to build an organization that people love coming there every day. And it's a family environment and we're really creating opportunity for everyone that's involved. And so that's, kind of the double the two sides of that coin is one we get to see how it affects the consumers and changes the changes the culture of certain things in the world and two you know create a a area of growth and opportunity for people who become part of the inside fold of the business yeah absolutely so my next question for you then is more practical right Mm -hmm. um and i call it the hero's tool belt just like every superhero has a tool belt with fancy gadgets like you know batarangs and web slingers and laser eyes um, talk about top one or two tools that you couldn't live without in your business, right? Could be anything oh, from your notepad, you to your calendar, to your marketing tools. What is it? So you, yeah, so you couldn't I, do without the, uh, <laughs> couldn't do without. No, I love this. This is a great question. Uh, there's three things um, that I could not do without. And this this isn't just for for me and for Parkit. This is, this is for every client too that I still work with from a brand consultant perspective. Um, if we don't have Adobe and we don't have Facebook and we don't have Shopify, we don't have the three tools to facilitate sales and marketing. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you can build, if you're, if you're well-versed in Photoshop and Illustrator or InDesign and you can build graphics and you can build eye-catching creative pieces with those programs, you can then y- utilize Facebook to distribute them. And then when you use Facebook to distribute them, the user sees them, it catches their attention, they click through, they land on your Shopify website and at that point, you know, you've invited them into your house. This is who we are. This is what we sell. Do our products serve a solution for you? And how does that come together? And if you can master those three tools, um, you can take really any product to market. Now, there's a lot of logistics pieces that I'm skipping here. Um, but in terms of, you know, the three tools that help us facilitate like what we're doing every day, it's wake up, build an email in Adobe, distribute that through some sort of, of social media platform engagement piece, like a MailChimp or a Klaviyo or a Facebook or an Instagram and drive them to our site and invite them into our, into our house to, to learn about who we are and our products. And uh, those three tools, I don't know how else we would get anything done without them. <laughs> That's amazing. And it's true too, right? It's, it's the, it's from, you know, inception of the marketing, the message to uh, getting it, getting it into the customer's hand. Those are the three things you need to, to get them there. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. 
The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So I've got only a couple more questions here for you. This next one is about your own personal heroes, right? Every every hero has their mentors, just like, you know, Frodo had Gandalf, Luke had Obi-Wan to, you know, call back our uh, our Star Wars, Robert Kiyosaki, his rich dad, Spider-Man had uh, his Uncle Ben. Um, so who are some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who are a couple years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far with Parkin Movement? Yeah, so I have um, a lot of mentors. Um, I've been very lucky in the sense that it, it's kind of a, a unique story. I, I lost my dad when I was 18, uh, just heart attack out of the blue. And in that experience, um, you know, like you lose a father, but what happened for me was I actually ended up meeting like probably 15 dads along the way, if that makes any sense. You know, like, like people yeah, come out yeah. and they're like, hey, like, you're 18. Let me guide you through this challenge. And another guy, Hey, you're, you're 22. Let me guide you through this challenge. You're, you know, that there's been so many people in my life that have been kind of that stand in role for me, um, that have been absolutely influential. None more than my dad's brother. Um, he also is an entrepreneur. He runs his own business. He's been incredibly successful as a label printer. Um, if you ever bought a Jack in the box burger in the nineties and two thousands, and it came with that little sticker on it that had the ketchup, mustard, mayo, all those things. He printed those for like the whole country. Um, and that, that was his big client that really catapulted him into, to the success of his business. And he's been super instrumental in, in getting me in the right mindset about certain problems and, and looking at certain challenges with me and finding the way to, to solve them. Um, so he's been absolutely incredible. And, and, you know, as a father for his children, as an uncle to me, and as a business owner, he's been uh, really one of the ultimate mentors for me that, that helps guide kind of my path and, and what we want to do for park it. Yeah, that's really cool. I've, uh, my, my dad lost his dad when he was young too. Um, and it had a big impact on him and I've been lucky enough that my dad's still around and been able to guide me through a lot of those things. Um, everything from, you know, having my, first, you know, getting married, having kids to moving on the road and doing all this, these crazy things that we do. Um, so it's, it's definitely, it's definitely cool to have people who are able to stand in and fill in for that role. And it's always surprised me how often, um, when I ask that question, how often it's a family member or a teacher or someone who may or may not even realize in their own life that someone else is looking up to them as a hero. Uh, oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, there's a there's a peer, too, I want to give a nod to. You know, there's a buddy of mine who, who he's the one who fell through the chair at the campfire. Um, his, his chair is the one that fell apart. He started a direct-to-consumer watch brand um, about five years ago. And he's grown that whole thing organically. He hasn't taken in any outside funding, any cash. He's done a couple Kickstarters to help fund some inventory. Um, but, you know, like him being a peer too is someone that I've been able to look at and go, all right, like you're going to, ch you're, you're challenging what I think is capable for me at the age that I'm at. You know, like a lot of people would be like, oh, you can't start that. You know, like, like 
Steve, Steve Jobs started building computers when he was in college. Um, Bill Gates started Microsoft and dropped out, you know, like uh, Zuckerberg started Facebook in college and dropped out, you know, like these people make these huge changes in the world at such early ages. And so many times people will look at you and say, oh, you can't do that yet. You're not old enough. You don't understand everything yet. Right. And uh, my buddy who did this watch That's company. That's what makes you dangerous. <laughs> yeah. And, and my buddy who did this watch company and, and he's still doing it today and they're doing great. Uh, really proud of them. Um, he was kind of the one I looked at and was like, if you can do this, I can do this too. And I don't need to wait until someone gives me the green light and says, you're old enough and you know all of it now. It was really the, the mind shift of if you want it, the only obstacle is your mindset telling you that you either can or you can't. And whichever one it is that you believe you're going to be right. Um, and so he was a huge piece of the puzzle and, and registering in my own mind that I can start a business from basically scratch and get this thing, you know, raising 500 K on Kickstarter. So a lot of nods yeah, to, yeah. to that peer group as well. It's a, it's an interesting thing. The, uh, the people who call you crazy and tell you, you can't do things. And then you realize that, you know, you can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of the same stuff going for, you know, we're going to move our, my wife and three kids and a dog into a small RV and travel the world while growing our company. People mm -hmm. are like, you can't do that. And turns out not only can we do it, we've grown our company four times in that, um, you know, in that time frame. And we had another kid on the road and, um, maybe we are crazy, but you could still do it. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the thing that I think is the funniest is like, like, they'll be like, you're crazy. How are you guys going to do that? And like their point of, of like disruption is like, what if everyone needs to take a shower? And you're like, well, <laughs> that's not a big deal. Like we could figure out that, you know, like, like some of the problems that people identify as to like why they feel the need to tell you why you can't do something when you really narrow it down to them, it's like a convenience factor, something that yeah. you take for that. Yeah. If you live in a home with five bathrooms and five kids, like you take that for granted. Um, but like when you're in the scenario, like you guys are like, you just, like that's the situation. That's what we live in. That's what we chose you to do. Figure and, it out. And you just exactly you just figure it out along the way. And and uh, you know, I remember there was a middle school uh, when I graduated. I don't even know if you call it graduated, but when you when you move from eighth grade to, to high school, they had the high school principal come and speak to us. And he said, "There's three types of people in the world: uh, the people who make stuff happen, the people who watch it happen, and the people who say what happened." And I feel like a lot of the times that people who make stuff happen is a very small percentage of the population. And a lot of people are caught in the other end going, they did what? And, you know, you grew your business four times living out of a van, having an extra, having an other child. Like those things are things that a lot of people go, I don't know how you did it, but you just figure it out. Like you said. Yeah. You just, you just do it and make it happen. And it's a, uh, um, it's such a fascinating thing to learn what it takes to be the kind of person that makes things happen, make things happen. And I used to, as a younger entrepreneur, think that anyone could be an entrepreneur. And I've realized over the years that it, it takes a special kind of person um, to want to put in the work and the effort and have the, uh, the risk tolerance that goes into do what we're doing. But mm -hmm. the reality is, is it's not really, it's not really that difficult. Like the actual work isn't that difficult. The reality is it's just consistently doing action, like doing action that leads you to the goal you want to go. Sometimes you, trip and fall and hurt things and blow them up and you have to get up. But it's like, it's that getting up and keep going and keep going for that destination that, um, that, you know, really sets entrepreneurs apart. sets the people who are, you know, making things happen. Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. There's, there's such an element to it where, and I think you touched on it perfectly. I was thinking to myself the other day, it was like, well, like, you know, that was hard, but was it really hard? And you realize that you like survived it. 
right? You, you come to that, yeah. that point of like, you're looking at something one day and you're like, oh no, what am I going to do? I have no idea how to solve this problem. And then you figure out how to solve the problem and you get out of it. And it's like, it's like watching children learn something, right? If, if a child doesn't think he can fit through the hole in the fence, he won't try to fit through the hole in the fence. But as soon as the child takes the risk and learn that he can fit through the hole in the fence, well, now the kid's running down the street and like playing with the kids in the basketball court down at the park, right? And, and it's like the issue of, of once you've learned that you can do something, when you look back at what you thought was impossible, you realize, oh, it really wasn't that impossible to begin with. I just yeah, yeah. had to kind of just do it. And, uh, you know, that's where it Nike really gets their nod reminds off. Me just, of the, uh, the thing. <laughs> reminds me of that thing I mentioned earlier with, you know, sticking the forklift in the back of our RV and having to do the fiberglass work. When I first did that, I was like, I don't know how to do fiberglass work. That's hard. It's impossible. You know, it's everyone says that fiberglass work is the worst. And, you know, sit down and actually like learned how to do it and did it. And like, it wasn't that difficult. And then a couple of weeks ago, this is, you know, years later, um, our slide broke something and ripped off the, uh, the top top something or other, whatever the thing is on top of our slides and ripped all the fiberglass off. And, and I was like, Oh, I guess I have to, you know, pick those fiberglass things up. And, you know, I already knew what to do. Like mm-hmm. went down to the store, bought the things, came back an hour and a half later, it was fixed. Right. It wasn't even like a thing. It was just like, Oh, I guess I got to do some fiberglass repair. It's, you know, it's, you know, to, I've leveled up that skill. It's the thing that I can do. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing about entrepreneurship that sets us apart is that we recognize that everything that we do that we don't know how to do is a level up. And it's basically like you're Mario and you're finding the mushroom and you're just boop, boop, boop. like, you get that level yeah. up every, every time that you do something different. Like, like now I, I think back of like, let's say, you know, let's say five years goes by and, and park it is, is either acquired or something and I'm no longer doing park it. Right. Well, I can now look at someone and say, Hey, I know how to manage cash flow. I know how to run operations. I know how to get a product designed. I know how to manage the logistics of getting it to the consumer. Like, let's look at your business and let's narrow down where we can at least maximize our efficiencies and reduce some cost. You know, I can look at that. I couldn't have said that three and a half, four years ago. Not a way, not a chance in hell I could say I could adequately speak to that. Um, but because you put yourself into all these new scenarios that, it up front, you know, it's the scary closet. It's the scary monster in your closet. And it, it's really not that scary. It's just they're new skills that you're taking a risk to learn. And, and the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The result is just kind of exponential growth and exponential opportunity. Absolutely. So I've got one more question for you. Um, and it is about your guiding principles, right? And one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He brings them to Arkham Asylum. Um, so as we wrap up the interview, I want to talk about the top one or maybe two principles that you use regularly in your life um, to run Park It. And, you know, maybe something you wish you knew when you first started out, you know, at least three or four years ago. Yeah. So the principles that I've always lived my life by are uh, there's a quote actually from my dad that he would beat into us as children. That when you're a kid, you're like, oh, I get it, dad. And then you get older and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I kind of get what he was doing there. And that, that quote is pretty simple. It's, it's three things. It's do your best, never give up and have fun. And so when you really narrow those three things down, you know, what you're talking about is you're talking about excellence. You're talking about doing your best and you're talking about making sure that whatever it is that you do, you do to a hundred percent and like, it's perfect. You know, that's, that's the goal. Uh, the next part, do your best, never give up. That's persistence, like narrowing it down to one word. And that's looking at every challenge and figuring out how am I going to solve this problem today? Um, and then, the, you know, the last one is pretty straightforward. Have fun. If you're having fun and you love what you're doing um, and you're passionate about what you're doing, then all the things that you're, you're learning, even the things that are challenging and scary, 
you're going to look back on and go with a smile and go, wow, I learned all of that. Or we, we succeeded through that challenge. We figured that out. And so that would really be the code that I loved is just do your, do your best, never give up and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. I had a similar one for my dad. He said, uh, um, uh, never give up until the good is better and the better is best. Um, and it was just the same kind of thing, right? It's, it's persistence and a striving for excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's or, a, when I got to college, I joined a, I joined a fraternity called Phi Gamma Delta at Chapman. And, um, you know, you go through the, the pledge process and they, they've got these, these manuals that every chapter goes through and they, they teach you different things and teach you different values and different, you know, like, like, uh, when fraternities were first actually like created back in the day, they were built as ways for young men to come together to teach themselves how to be men. Now we have a different kind of Hollywood version of what fraternities are. Um, but those foundations still exist in a lot of them across the country and, and they, they teach you certain values. And, and one of the things for, for my fraternity that's really unique is that we've actually had a president of the United States, uh, be one of the members of our fraternity. And it was Calvin Coolidge. And there's this quote from Calvin Coolidge that as a pledge, we were forced to forced to learn. I, I don't know if necessarily uh, like forced to learn is the right word, but we were, we were taught to learn this quote. And the quote is all about how, you know, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. You can be the smartest, you can be the most educated, you can be, you know, the luckiest, but you can remove all of those things from, from who you are. If you work hard, and you will see like the fruits of what, what your labor will bring you. And, and uh, I would advise, you know, anyone listening, you want to go read the quote, want to feel inspired, just Google Calvin Coolidge uh, persistence and it'll come up right away on Google and you'll read it. And it, it became kind of a thing that I lived by in college, you know, after my dad had passed away. And it wasn't until a couple years after college where I drew the connection of like, this is basically what he was telling me to do my whole life. And it tied into the do your best, never give up and have fun. And, and yeah. that's really the, the biggest piece to the puzzle is you're, you're talking, you know, your dad taught these same things to you. And I'm sure he learned them from his dad uh, before your grandfather passed away. And, and, and it's that type of, you know, value and, and those types of principles, they extend beyond circumstance. They're, they're true and, and they're tried. And there's a reason why people write books about them uh, from yeah, thousands, yeah. thousands of years ago. I I remember uh, um, my son, um, you know, passing that lesson on to my son. He was uh, in gymnastics with one of his buddies and um, his, his little friend, you know, they're both like six or seven years old at the time. And his, his friend is just like gifted athletically and the kid plays football and he plays soccer and he does ballet and he's in gymnastics and he can do a, you know, back handspring, back tuck at six years old with perfect form. And he doesn't even have to try. It's just, yeah. it's just easy because that's what he was gifted with. Um, but because everything is easy, he never puts any work into any of it. And mm-hmm. my, my son had has to work really hard, you know, in gymnastics to be even like half as good as his buddy is. Um, and I was like, I was, I was like, but see, the difference is, is that like, you know, if, if all, all it's going to take for you to be a better athlete than him is to just outwork him. Right. Because because that's your your persistence at working towards what you want to do is going to get you places that will never get him because he doesn't have the same work ethic. Yeah. Right. Um, And and, you know, when you when you combine the gifts with work ethic, that's when you get like Olympians. But the. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. Imagine if you you can get a long ways. Could you imagine if Usain Bolt with like the just the natural God given talent that he has to run as fast as he can didn't have the mindset 
to train as hard as he trains or Michael Phelps, the same, you know, like Michael Phelps yeah. was, was scientifically gifted with a body that's built for swimming. He has the torso of someone who's six, six and the legs of someone who's like five, eight. Um, that gives you ability to plane over water. And if he doesn't wake up and, and go through the regiments and the training and the mindset that he has about just working hard and outworking everyone to be the best swimmer, like you could have that swimmer's body and never use anything for it. And you don't have any of the gold medals that he's got, you know? And so, uh, it, the, the biggest piece yeah. you know, of the puzzle is persistence and, uh, excellence. You can combine those two and you can do anything. Absolutely. So that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge that I call the hero's challenge. And it's, um, basically it's a selfish thing I do to get access to stories I might not be able to find on my own. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come on our show and share their story? First person that comes to mind for you. First person that comes to mind for me is Ryan Torres. Um, he's the founder of Vare, the watch company that I was mentioning. He's the, the peer of mine that uh, really helped inspire kind of the, the mindset of, well, if he can do it, I can do it too. Um, like, let's, like, let's raise the level of what we expect out of ourselves. And I think he'd be a great person for you guys to, to bring in on the show and find out what his superpowers are. Yeah, awesome. So we'll reach out later and see if we can get an introduction to Ryan. Um, so in comic books, there's always the uh, the crowd of people at the end who are clapping and cheering for the hero as they uh, um, as they finish. So as we close, our analogous to that is I want to find out where people can find you if they want to pick up one of your chairs in the future when they hit the market. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and be like, hey, you know what, we need some better chairs to sit around and, and grow some stories with our families. Um, and I think more importantly that who are the right types of people to, to actually, you know, reach out and maybe check out your chairs, check out your products and be a part of the uh, market movement. Yeah. So, um, to find us, you can find us on the web at www.parketmovement.com. Um, you can find us on Instagram at parket movement. Um, anyone that's interested in, you know, checking out our chairs, it ranges from if you go in the concerts and you want a comfy chair to sit in that brings the beverages you want to enjoy at the park concert down the street from your house, all the way to the fisherman who's going up into the Sierras and casting his line and kicking back at the river and, and enjoying a nice cold beer while taking in the scenery. So if you fit between one any of those categories, uh, you know, feel free to check us out and check out what we've created. Uh, we've got a lot of people on the pre-order list and people are really excited about what we're building. So it's a nice little change to the standard status quo and we think people will like it. So again, that's parketmovement.com and at parketmovement on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with me today, Steve. It was fascinating to talk to you and sort of hear the backstory of how you kickstarter launch a business, especially one that's got such a powerful story like what you guys have. Um, so thank you for that. And I guess before we, uh, we finish this off, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience here? Uh, you know, um, anything that you put your mind to, you can do. Um, persistence and determination alone it will really help drive a lot of the success in your own life and if you're willing to look at the challenges as learning opportunities and push through all of them uh, you can launch a chair on Kickstarter and raise 500k just like we have so you know love to see more success and if you guys have any entrepreneurs out there who want to connect and, and you know share knowledge about what's working for you guys uh, we're happy to share what's working for us and keep everybody growing together so yeah thank you so much for having us awesome 